ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. Hi, welcome to the Belief Series and through these conversations we've met people who've held beliefs throughout their lives or who've been strong on their beliefs about their work but in this edition you're going to meet someone who's in the process of deep self-examination. I'm actually at a point in my life where I'm really trying to learn what my beliefs are and they're actually changing every day which is quite an interesting era to be in with your growth and so I'd like you to challenge some of my beliefs, that'd be great. <laughs> That's Jana Pittman, and I got her at a good time. Jana came to prominence during the early 2000s as a 400-metre runner and hurdler. She was twice world champion in the hurdles. But alongside her sporting achievements came a strange media profile. Dubbed Drama Jana, the media turned her into a villain and published endless stories about her. It got to her, as it would to anyone, and she eventually retired. She went on to study medicine. She's now a junior doctor, close to qualifying, and a passionate advocate for women's health. She was even part of the team that achieved the first Australian uterine transplant. Note to listeners, Jana speaks incredibly fast. If you're someone who likes to listen at double speed, don't this time. You just spontaneously said something really interesting, that you're trying to find out what your beliefs, beliefs yes. are. Very much. I'm really trying to own who I am a bit more as a person, but also realising that some of my beliefs aren't concrete and they are, I guess, what you've been brought up to believe, but don't no longer sit with actually what I think is or should be true. Yeah. Can you give me an example? What's the kind of thing that perhaps you were brought up to believe this, now you're going, hang on, that's not making sense. Um, that you have to work incredibly hard all day, every day, all day long to be rewarded with success. And I think now that you just miss out on a lot of opportunities because you're actually not smelling the roses along the way. So don't get me wrong, I love my good old man. He's um, he's a 78-year-old guy who's still on the building site every day uh, and, I, and I learned a lot of my drive and resilience from him, but I don't want to do life like he did. And I've learned that now at 40, so hopefully it still means I've got some time left to, to tick off that, yeah, that belief structure. Yeah. I feel like, I mean, on casual observation, You've already lived about three lifetimes, yeah, anyway. <laughs> this is very true, yes. You have packed a lot, lot into that. Were you brought up with that kind of belief or is it just watching mum and dad, that's how they behave? I definitely was brought up with that belief. I was always one of those, I think, like if you didn't put the effort in, the rewards were never there, which is a good thing, don't get me wrong. I'm still trying to instill that in my children that you can't just sort of fob off on life and, and expect all the roses to come out at the end. You need to put effort in and it is about being stoic and, and pushing through the, the difficulties and things like that. But I think there's more to life than just working hard, dog-eared all day, every day, which is, I think, what I did during my sports career. And funnily enough, I actually backfired. It's probably why I didn't win the Olympics because I overtrained at, at points because I didn't have that flip side of the coin where you needed the recovery and the actual downtime and the, the person behind the, the athlete to come through. Um, I really believed it was hard or hard and fast or, or fail. Yeah. Are you jealous of Ash Barty? I am jealous <laughs> of Ash Barty because, see, her attitude's brilliant, isn't it? You know, yeah. go and do some cricket, go and do some tennis, have a baby, come back, retire, come back. Like I think – and she's so gentle and humble in the way she goes about life and I think that is a hugely beautiful personality trait that I hope others look at and see you can be equally successful but also live a wonderfully full life. Success for her is doing it once. Yeah. Exactly. I did it once. <laughs> do I, it well. <laughs> I, I, I won Wimbledon. I got an Australian Open. That'll do. Done. Success for Djokovic seems to be, I can't stop <laughs> doing this. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, and like that, there are different strategies. About it. And look, I was the same. I, I found it really hard to give up, um, sport that is. And it wasn't until I found something I think that's probably even harder, which is medicine, to throw my hat into that, um, that I found that I could move on from sport mm. or have six children, you know, one yeah. or the other, find something yeah. harder <laughs> yeah, yeah. than competing in, in sport. It's a big thing to undertake. So what led to this moment? 
this is going to be a bit far-fetched, but doing the television show SAS Australia where I was really thrown in the deep end and challenged myself to see how much grit I really had and then realised that I didn't actually like pushing myself like that anymore and that it wasn't a particularly comfortable space to be in and that all I did was miss my family. But it proved that I was strong enough to do it, but do I have to always be that strong all the time? I don't know. I don't think so. Yeah. That's interesting, isn't yeah. it? I, but I guess I guess I would believe you don't know what circumstances are necessarily going to push you. Yes, you know, you, exactly. you would think that it's going to be the birth of a child or death of a parent or something like that, but it could be being on a show. Well, it was it was more what, what that show was for me. And actually, let's be honest, James, it was two things. Firstly, I went into that as drama yana and I came out as a hero. So there's no, but it's true, isn't it? Because I had this, it was a, another belief, I guess, um, that I, there was something wrong with me, that I wasn't enough, that there was, that the reason I had so much, so much negative media as a young person was that there was a, a, a fault in who I was, that I was too dramatic, too passionate, spoke too fast, all the sort of things that really dulled who I was and had that real imposter syndrome kicking in. So that I'd walk into a room, I do, I do a lot of public speaking and I'd walk into that room petrified of what that audience thought before I even got on the stage. Whereas I came out of that show where the real me shined through, or shone through, I don't know how, you know, yeah. I'm not very good with grammar, that's Sh- another shined. flaw. Shined. Shined through. It's the poetic <laughs> <Okay>. way. <laughs> And allowed me to blossom in the media, which had never happened in my career. So, And also I let go a lot of that previous belief that I wasn't good enough. Um, and that's where the book that I've recently written came from, is that I finally sat down and said, hey, you know what, this is who you are started thinking about who I want to be and who I don't want to be anymore. And that's an absent parent and a, you know, and a, and a grump, cranky, <laughs> grumpy partner. So, you know, really realizing that I didn't have to be successful to be liked by others. And that was a huge change in my mentality and, and has made me really start searching for, okay, well, if I've put that on the shelf and I'm okay with who I am, now what am I going to do? Like what's next to start believing in or to desire um, to get to the bottom of. You learn more from your failures than your success is a truism and perhaps we all say it, very few people live it. I'm very stoic. I'm very resilient. And that resilience comes from failing in sport. I think sport's a great thing for kids to learn to win, lose, win, lose. Like my daughter's just started a little A's and she was winning all the time. We changed clubs. Now she's losing. That's a great thing. You know, I don't want her to be the best all the time. I want her to experience those losses. So it's one of the amazing things about sport is that you have to learn both. You learn to lose early in life. So I've always been able to get through that. And that same thing sort of happened with some of the media as a young person. I had that, okay, well, I can't control it. It is what it is. Suck it up, keep going. But I never dealt with it. And I don't think I actually did that until after that show when I realised, oh, wow, it did hurt. You know, and it was it was difficult. It was a tough track to walk on. And then you start thinking, don't you? Whereas I think I kind of shoved that big part of me down inside and thinking, well, but it, well, I mean, it wasn't even just the media. I've just always been a really quirky human. And I also thought that was a bad thing. So my, I had a very strong belief that I was odd, unusual, nerdy, and would never sort of fit in. Whereas now I realise I fit in brilliantly. I'm just very different. And that's good. That's a good thing. You know, you can't all be cookie cutter yeah. style people. And yeah. Yeah. yeah, you're having a really interesting time of examining your own yes. self-belief. <laughs> yes. So it's not, it's not leading to a transformation of character. No, just a belief. It's a transformation of my own thoughts and feelings towards who I am. Yeah. I mean, medicine helped with that too, because it gave me that real sense of, well, I'm, it's nothing, it's not about me anymore. Like being a doctor is about the person in front of you, my patients and the well-being of others. And it's got nothing to do whether you're a good person or not. You either do the job, you do well, you help someone or you don't. And so that was a real growth space as well to realise, well, you know, it makes no difference mm-hmm. who you are behind the, behind the scrubs. Part of the rethinking, of course, comes from her age. She's 40, and so it's that time when you often feel at the middle point of your life. You look back, you look forward. You wonder what you've done and what you're going to do with the rest of your life. Yana said the discussions with her friends are full on at this time. Everything's up for grabs. But there's one thing that's staying solid with Yana, and that's her faith. 
I'm Christian. I've yeah. been Christian. I mean, my grandfather was a minister in the church. Um, he came over, immigrated from Holland um, to be a minister in Australia when the Dutch immigration um, was quite strong in the in the in the 50s and 60s. So that was a, a big part of our life for a long time. Um, I'm not an avid churchgoer anymore, but I still definitely have faith for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And is that a belief in? So it's not a belief that's attached to a church or an institution. Not anymore. Can you describe the sort of sense of spirituality, God, otherness that it might be? I feel like I'm never alone. And I feel like I don't have to ask. I don't feel like I can, I just sit around and go, oh goodness, can you help me with this? And sometimes you do, you know, of of course, when you're going into a, like recently when I had to wait to get onto the registrar program for the training I want to do in obstetrics and gynecology, I was, I was praying desperately for some guidance on what I'd do if I didn't get on and a little bit of a nudge in the right direction if I got on, Mm. which I did, thankfully. But I just feel like it's a presence. It's a calm. It feels like it's a warm blanket. I like that saying where you know where where it says, well, "This is obviously Christian." But when then, when Jesus is walking along on the beach, and then when t- life gets tough, there's only there's two sets of footprints, and then all of a sudden there's one, and then he says, "That's when I was carrying you." I like that that analogy of it feels like when your faith wraps you when you're when you're struggling through those times. Yeah, and in in questioning beliefs and self beliefs, that hasn't that hasn't shifted. No, because I just I don't believe. I mean, look. This is a belief and I know everyone won't agree with me, but the world's too beautiful, but also too chaotic to just be random for me. Even though I'm a scientist by trade, (laughs) being a doctor, I don't know what religion is necessarily true, brought up Christian, but I don't know. I just feel like there's more than just us. Like something definitely helps me when things aren't going well. Does the science clash with faith? Well, my dad used to always say Einstein was Christian and (laughs) he obviously, and you know, a lot of the different theorists out there have um, have both. So mm. sometimes I just think you can't delve into it too much. I don't over, I do sometimes think about it. Like, you know, I think about aliens as well up in the world, but <laughs> I, tr- I try to think that they're not really there and you just have to, if it makes you feel better in the day and it makes you a better person, like morally, then, then it's not a bad thing, is it? So what about that early career? She started so young and then there was so much media attention. What does she believe about that now? Getting thrust into the media and the limelight very early, I didn't have that I didn't have the backbone to understand what that meant. And being ultra positive, which is my baseline, always meant every time I went into a situation, I never saw what the flip side of that coin. How could that be taken in a different direction? And so, yeah, of course, as I get older, you know, I'm about to do The Amazing Race. It airs soon. <laughs> and I and I now have a little bit more judgment around how things could be perceived and I get a bit nervous about it and things like that. But when I was a kid, I was just like, this is what I think. You know, this is what I tr- I truly believe, and therefore it can't be wrong because it's what I believe, and I'm being honest. And so, if you're being honest, you have to own that. Whereas sometimes honesty is better kept to yourself. And I think it's also, you know, the, the most the most seasoned media performers, you mm. know, myself, politicians, <laughs> yeah. and all that sort of stuff. If I read something about myself in the paper, it's still cringy. Ah, yeah, exactly. What is that? Ah, ah exactly. You know, and, it, it, and even though you know not to do that no, and I be know. steeled against it, it's. It's hard not to. It's corrosive in yes, some way. Yes, corrosive. You know? That's a great word. And it's funny because I do have an amazing um, sort of like a life coach. I've only been sort of working with the last few months as I've been going through this self-growth period. Um, and she asked me, am I going to watch The Amazing Race and look at the social media and stuff associated to it? And I'd really like to say no. But just like you said, I know that I'm not I know that I'm going to look because it's human nature. And you, I don't know, it's just that corrosiveness of... What will someone say? Yeah. Does anyone think that behaviour was stupid? Did yeah. I look as much of an idiot that yeah. I think I did? Well, can you imagine your career now in social media? If you were, if you were being the Yana Pittman that attracted, that became drama Yana. Well, I think your... it would have been different. I don't it's... think it would have happened. Right. I think so. For some athletes, social media is a, 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 a terrible. This is another belief, I guess. Yeah. Some for some athletes, social media can be a real deterrent from performance, and it can be something that they become obsessed with. For many of us who are a little bit misunderstood, it becomes our voice. So because I had no rebuff 
to the media. So they'd print something. There was no way of me reaching out and saying, hey, guys, this is actually what happened. Or, hey, I'm really sorry I said the wrong thing. I didn't mean it like that. There was nothing. So it was either what the, you know, what the paper printed or nothing. Yeah. And so, and then for many, I remember in 2004, after all the drama happened around my injury and I sort of, I escaped to the UK and I, I did no media for an entire year, hoping that would dampen it all down. It fueled it because I wasn't there directly quoting. So they just wrote whatever they wanted. And I came back and I was even more famous for being silly. I was like, great. Leading into the Commonwealth Games in Melbourne, like, it was like front page for weeks. I'm like, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't want that all. It's funny because all I've ever wanted as a young person was to inspire others to give life a crack. And it just somehow got completely misconstrued to be something else. As, as I now say, I've owned because I realise it's, I'm probably one of the most famous non-Olympic champions in Australia because of all of that. And, and what it does now is give me this enormous voice for women's health advocacy, which is what I use it for. So, you know, all of last week I did 29 appearances for heavy menstrual bleeding just to try and raise awareness for women to go and get help. You know, when I talk about cervical cancer, I talk about vaginas, I talk about incontinence, all the stuff that's very taboo and other people would be very afraid of saying, but I like, well, you can't say any more than I've done in the media in the past. You can't, there's nothing, there's nothing that could possibly mm. print that would be any worse. So let's use it. Let's yeah. use that space to actually make other people feel better, yeah. which, what a blessing. Yana's been a champion female athlete. She's now a champion for women's health. What does she believe about being a woman? Look, I mean, that goes to an even trickier question about beliefs is around the whole women's, you know, the whole um, gender diversity and all the different questions around being a woman and they, and because I have a little they at home. Right. <laughs> one of my little, one of my little kids is a they, and a, but I've striven, stri striven, striven. What's no, the word? Strive it. I've strive it. Strive it. <laughs> <laughs> strive it. All my life to be a strong woman, you know, and and make sure that I that women are equal in every opportunity in mm. life. So I think, yes, you're right, women's health has been on the back burn largely because for dec for generations, you know, we are the, you know, lesser sex for a long time. I don't think so anymore. I think men and women are so equal now and men feel that we're their counterpart. I certainly haven't felt it any time in my life, which is interesting because last year Women's um, International Women's Day was gender bias and I really had to struggle to think of a time where I've had that bias against me, but I think that's because I don't believe it. So I believe that a woman is entirely capable of anything a man can do, not physically. Don't mm. get, like, I, and I, people always hate me when I say this, but I like the men's hundred more than the women's hundred because it's the best in the world. And people say, well, you can't. It's a men's and women's sport. And I'm like, yes, but the men are better than the women. I don't want to watch a woman run if I can watch a man because he's better than me. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> but and you that, wanted that, us to come watch you run. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but taking a grain of salt. Like if you're going to watch yeah, yeah. Vahom, who's the, the world record holder in the, my event, in the men's, mm. in men's 400 hurdles, he walks all over me. Right. <laughs> he would beat me by 60 metres. Yeah. But that's amazing. You yeah. know, like I just think you're right. Let's look at them completely categorically different. Yeah. I still want to watch a man run because yeah. he's extraordinary. Yeah. You've never experienced gender bias, but I mean, in the 20 minutes I'm getting to know you, you've got such force that you have such yes. presence. You were a, a champion in your field. You, you can, you, you, you've got great control over, over mm. your life. That's not every woman. No, I appreciate that for sure. And I think that comes a lot about when we're kids, how we're brought up. My mother is a powerful woman as well who always made a presence. She walked into a room and she just glowed. So you are right. And that's what we, that's where my role is now is to try and get young women to see that they are equal. But it's also on the flip side, you know, like I work in a, in a 80% female dominated industry where men make such a difference. So we need to do the other way as well. We, we're getting to a point now where we need to encourage our guys to stay in our women-centred roles mm. because it takes a team and diversity makes a huge difference. And I, I work with some amazing male gynaecologists who are literally the best doctors I've ever seen. I have been, <laughs> all my babies, I've had six of them, have all been birthed by male <laughs> gynaecologists, which is interesting, isn't it? Because yeah. um, 
and not by choice, just because they were the best people that I wanted to work with. So it goes both ways. You you said that you've got a little they at at, at home. I do. Has that been a challenge to your beliefs about gender or how has that happened? Because a lot of people would then find that, what do you mean a little one? I did. How can you have a... He or she or they are an eight-year-old. So what what is it? (laughs) He'd prefer to be a he, but he doesn't... (laughs) What is your they at eight? Um, They have always been very coloured, like just a beautiful little human that has just never fit in the in between the, the square boxes that we would say. So growing up in a Christian family, my parents are, were quite, uh, I guess, gender stereotyped, male, female, pinks, blues, all that kind of stuff growing up. The first experience they got was me having being best friends and giving an embryo to my best friend in a same-sex relationship with her, him and his husband. And so I have six and a half children. Right. So... <laughs> Yeah, and I think my parents, but they love Brad. Like they, like they. He's a, he, my my mum always says she now has two and a half kids. Mm. You know, she has my brother and I, and Brad as wow. an adopted son. So, again, her belief structure has shifted dramatically yeah. from being very one sided to now being very open to that space. And she just loves Emily, who's now Florence because she's changed. She they. I still say the wrong synonym. See, yeah. they now. <laughs> Look, she still calls herself a she, but she dresses entirely like a boy and wants to be a little boy. And yesterday got called a boy at the shops and glowed, absolutely glowed. So yeah. I don't know what they're going to end up. Yeah. They're just yeah. happy and no, I'm entirely open to whatever, whatever they need in the future. Yeah. You're rolling with it. Roll with the punches, roll it with may, whatever, with the highs, know, the lows. Uh, uh, you know, in previous generations, a bit of a tomboy. Yeah, exactly. Or something like that. Yeah. And tomboys often turned out to be... I was a tomboy. Yeah. The biggest tomboy. Now yeah. I'm as girly as they come. <laughs> so... But, yeah, yeah. What do you believe about family? You've you've had a oh, yes. in some ways a tempestuous family life, oh. or a tumult, tumultuous. I think I meant more a tumultuous fam- family. It's tumultuous, but it's I, I see it as a rainbow family. Probably say I probably have one of the most eclectic families um, for a well-known Australian. Um, I mean, I've been married a couple of times, and I've had children on my own um, using a sperm donor. So yes, very very different. I've donated to other families. So if you look at my family tree, it's diverse mm. and, and enormous. Mm. Sorry, let, let's just. I've just got to detail this. Yes. You're saying, okay, you've reproduced in the traditional Correct. fashion. I got married, had a baby. <laughs> you've had a sperm donor and had a child on your two, own. Two of those. Two yeah. of those mm-hmm. on, on your own. And this is you, there's no relationship. No, absolutely no. I don't you've then into contact. other relationships and had children Correct. with... Yes, the last three with my... Yep. You've then also donated... To egg, other families. Egg and embryo, did you say? Just eggs. Just eggs yep. to other, other families. To other families. Is there any other reproductive option you haven't tried? Sorry yeah. to see. <laughs> <laughs> no. So, but yeah, look, and don't get me wrong. Again, that's that was a huge, huge fundamental shift because as a kid, all I wanted was the white picket fence, fence get married, meet a nice guy, settle down, have five kids. That's mm. all I, like more than anything else, more than medicine, more than running, all I wanted to was get, was to get married and mm. have actually 10 kids if I could, if I really yeah. wanted a really big family. Well, you're on the way. I'm on the way. I'm no more though. <laughs> Done. So that that was probably one of the most heartbreaking things I've ever been through in my life was the breakdown of my marriage, my first marriage, because that's so badly what I wanted. Don't get me wrong. I own that it was actually largely my fault, which I think is important to acknowledge that he was my coach and he was going through the end of his sporting career and I was at the height of mine. Can you imagine how hard that would be yeah. to be retiring while you watch your wife go and smash yeah. championships. I never saw that in him. I just saw him as my coach and he should be happy with our, our success. But at the same time, he was having to cope with that huge shift. Now I've been through that shift myself now. I love my career as a doctor, but I still get pangs of desire to run mm. and to, and I miss the racing and I miss the stage that we used to be on. And so I wish I'd appreciated that more at the time. 
I mean, fundamentally, we weren't meant to be together. Like he yeah. was an incredibly stoic, strong beast of a man. And I was a bit of a, ah, oh dear. And I cried too much and, you know, <laughs> swallowed my feelings with chocolate, that kind right, of thing. Right. But, but at that point, you believe family was going to be. That's what husband, I believed it was going to be. Children, Husband, children. See you at the end. Correct. Yeah. To, right. Forever. And again, that's his family structure. My parents are still married. They fight like cat and dog, but they love each other till they'll love each other to death, honestly. Yeah, yeah. And that's the structure I've seen all around me. So I was the first black sheep in my family to get a divorce. Right. It, was pretty, it, was, it was a pretty big thing. You still say it in a whisper. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> See, it's still, yeah. So it was, a, it was a big deal, which then ironically, when I then divorced and came to mum and dad and said, hey, guys, I really want to have more children. I'm going to do this solo. Mum was the most supportive. Like there was not even oh. a question. It wasn't even, I want you to think about this or a, oh, no, conversation, which I know a lot of my friends who have gone down that pathway. You know, there's a lot of women taking the what we call solo mother by choice option because you get into sort of 37, 38 and missing out on family is the other choice. Mm. So they choose children on their own. And a lot of them have that real door slammed in their face by their family. So, gosh, I'm lucky my mum didn't. Mm. She said, right, let's pick the donor together. Yeah. And we sat down and we did the whole thing as a, as a team. That's amazing, isn't amazing, it? Amazing. 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 Uh, do you think that attitude. Is, is that you didn't really know them? Like, if you, like you don't, uh, uh, yes, you don't for know sure. them as children, do you? And then yeah. if you go to your parents and they're something really like that. Oh, yeah. you're actually that person. Yeah. My mum is, I'm, I'm, I'm about to start a podcast with her actually, because she, she sends me these amazing, what we call midnight love letters. Okay. So when she doesn't like something I've done or she thinks I need to adjust my behavior, she calls me on it. She's not someone who, she's my best friend, but she's also definitely someone who calls me out on a lot of the stuff she doesn't agree with. And she'll either send it me in a little letter under the door traditionally, or she'll send me an email now or a very long text message that I get at about one in the morning. So I wake up to these things, but she calls it. Don't get me wrong. I get pretty uncomfortable with a lot of the things she has to say. But mm. ultimately, once I sit with it for a little while, I realise 90% of the time she's right. Wow. And on the times she's wrong, we fight about it. And then we have a big hug and, and we move past. And But this was one of the things, having children on my own, that she was like, I think it's the right thing for you. When, when I look back into it, why? Probably because she saw I'm a disaster in relationships. Like I just, <laughs> it's the one thing I can't, I don't know, I really can't conquer. <laughs> I've really tried. What are you, how are you raising them? Is, is there much difference in the, in the way... You're raising your children from the way you were raised. Are there Ooh. fundamental beliefs that you're sort of trying to play out? Very much. Uh, we have one very, very strong belief, which was advocating for self as a young person. So my mum was the most loving, overtly in touch with your feelings person there was. And I try to do the same with my, particularly my girls who are obviously a bit older, where I'm regularly telling them, do you love yourself? You look beautiful. So I'm really a lot of positive reinforcement that I just don't think they get as much of. And then some hardcore failure, which I'm really believe is not in the world at the moment. We need to, the kids need to fail. Yesterday I got Kids Against Humanity, you know that game, mm. there's Cards, Cards Against Humanity. Humanity. Well, there's a Kids Against yeah. Humanity game. Yeah, we started yeah. it yesterday. One of them lost, balled her eyes out. That's fine. Like you, you got to lose. You can't, I'm not going to fake that you win for you not to experience it. Same thing with her losing at little A's. So I think it's important that kids learn to fail. Mm. And I know a lot of my friends don't let their kids fail. I know it's a very stupid one, but we don't have iPads. Like the kids and I, we go out for lunch, which is horrible for everybody else in the room because there's six kids screaming their heads off and everyone wishes I gave them my phone or my iPad. But I need those kids to learn social behaviour, mm. probably because I didn't have as much of it as a kid. It's not that we did. We just didn't go out much mm. as kids. So I didn't have the social etiquette that I probably want my kids to have. So, yeah, there's lots of fundamental beliefs that my parents did very well. They have yeah. great parents. I can't fault them. Yeah. So other than they put me in a little bit too much love that I didn't have enough of the this is what the real world's like, mate, and you're going to get stuck on it sometimes. Yeah. Often to deal with the real world, too much love from your parents is a great thing. It is a good thing, isn't it? You know? Yeah. Like it's, that's, so, and I'm would, still definitely doing that with my kids. Would um, you raise a champion? I hope so. But a champion in loving themselves rather than necessarily 
being outwardly famous or something. Mm. Um, yeah. Anybody running fast? Yeah, just the little one of the little girls. <laughs> Actually, the other one ran really well. They're both good. Both right. both the kid, both the girls are very, yeah, very fast. Yana has a book out, and it captures a lot of what we've been talking about. It's called Enough. I wanted to talk to her more about the belief behind that title. Yeah, it's not enough, enough. The world's had enough. No, it's it's you are enough. And I said that's something I've, a journey I've really gone on recently to learn that we are good with the skin that we're in and that your, your success is not defined by your resume, that it's very much defined about who you are, the self-acceptance you've got, the ability to move past failures and disappointment, but to keep saying yes every time you get hit by a wall, find a way around it kind of thing. It's also very honest about ownership because I do feel like one of my flaws was that I look at the grass is greener too quickly, um, particularly in like coaching and things like that. So I used to move coaches quite quickly looking for that one, like 0.01 percenters. So yeah, it's a very honest book but I hope it makes someone look at their life, realise they're actually pretty good yeah. just the way they are and then yeah. challenge them and to push themselves a little further. And I think it is one of the things that by, say, midlife, 40s, 35, 45, you better start doing that because you've got yeah. a long time to be with. You are you now. Exactly. There's not, there's not some other you going to emerge yeah, after exactly. this. So you better start to enjoy that you that you've yeah. got and learn to work with That's it. That's right, exactly. Work with the flaws, but also recognise that a lot of the things you think are flaws are actually probably your strengths. You've said that you, you know, you're examining your beliefs and trying to find out what your beliefs are. I mean, this conversation says to me, you've got a lot of it sorted. Does it feel like you've got a lot of it sorted? Uh, Some days, yes. Yeah, I think I'm getting a. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'll probably come up to another big hurdle soon. I'll be like, oh, how do I deal with that? Hmm. But at the moment, I think I'm very settled in Hmm. in that space. Um, When you say you come up to a hurdle, is that a little too literal for you? Like it's it's just not a metaphor for you, is it? It's not just a metaphor. You're right. Because I've done so many. You actually see it, and you see yourself. The step you've got to take. <laughs> yeah, well, I, do, I am very, um, I'm very driven in that space that I do write a lot of goals down and I have a long-term plan on everything and I can see, I can often project where or, or at least see where they're going to be, where they, and I create a lot of them myself too. Um, and that's, I guess, where my next chapter is, is to learn how do I, how do I stop creating little fires that I don't <laughs> want to put out anymore. I'm laughing there because it struck me that either Yana sees life as a series of hurdles because she was a hurdler or did she become a hurdler because that's how she sees life. Because she's so self-aware and examining her beliefs, I asked her, is there a belief that she's stuck on? No, look, I think it's not that I'm stuck on the belief. I think it's the acknowledgement that I'll always have a little bit of imposter syndrome and I'll always have that fear of people not liking me. And that's okay. I've owned that now. Whereas before I wanted that to go away, like I was determined to make every, to be happy with no matter what anybody else thought. You know, you watch some people, like I look at Leighton Hewitt and he may, he may be very sensitive, but when I look him in the media, I've only met him half a a dozen times in person. He just seems so just, I don't care. I don't care what they say. I don't care what they write. And just seems so stoic in the way he takes himself in life. Whereas I'm, I'm not ever going to be like that. I'm always going to be a little hurt if someone defends me. And I just go, okay, I'm okay with that. That's just, that's just who I am you know, have a bit of a, about it and then move on. Yeah. See, I wonder, I mean, I would have a belief about things like imposter syndrome is that almost in the defining of it has made it apparent to people. That we all have it? Everybody's got <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. No, no one, there's not a single adult that doesn't go, how oh, on earth am I getting away with this? Yeah. <laughs> Why haven't they figured out I'm an idiot? Like that is standard d- setting for, yes. for any adult, you know, like, no matter at what age. And the ones that don't have it, we often call psychopaths. Yeah, that's just, You know, or, or they don't have point. any empathy or they yeah, don't exactly. have any insight, really. Yeah. You know, they, they, oh, mate, I'm fine. I'm everything I'm doing is terrific. Yeah, yeah. I don't exactly. like that person. No, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, yes, you're hitting the nail on the head there. Yana Pittman, I think you're enough. <laughs> I'm glad to hear it. <laughs> that was great. Thank you so much. No, it's a pleasure. Thank you. What a compelling speaker. 
being with Yana Pittman, it's like being in a stiff breeze coming straight at you. It's fantastic. She's such a force of nature, so powerful, and such a an appropriate guest for our final one. This is the last one in this uh, first series of Headroom, the Belief Series. I hope you've enjoyed them all and Yana was fabulous, as they all have been. I've been really appreciative of the fact that people were happy to go to this sort of area to talk about these kind of things and reveal so much about themselves. I, I said the last one, but that's not quite true. There is a special bonus one coming in the next week or two. It'll be a surprise who turns up. But we have one more coming your way. Just keep subscribing. It'll pop up and you'll be very happy when it does. It's a very appropriate guest. It's somebody for the time and I think it'll be uh, really fantastic. So uh, look out for that one uh, when it arrives in a week or two. Otherwise, thank you for being part of it. Of course, without listeners, there's not much point. And so thank you for listening to this and I hope you've enjoyed them all. Uh, there's a whole bunch of them. If this is the first one you've heard, if you're on the Headroom feed, you'll notice that there's lots of other Headrooms from over the years. They're very different to this, but you might find something to enjoy there. I used to do an afternoon radio program and lots of them are are a distillation of things that we used to do on afternoons, often very comical and uh, observational, all all that sort of thing. So uh, thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much to Chloe McKenzie, to Grant Walter for making this with me over the series. That's been uh, terrific work done there. And thanks so much to the ABC for, uh, for letting me do this. I'm James Valentine. The original music for this was done by Roy Valentine. See you somewhere soon. ABC Podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app. G'day Headroom listeners or Valentinos or whatever you're calling yourselves. I'm not James Valentine. I mean, I wish. I'm Matt Bevan. I'm the host of If You're Listening. It's a podcast where we look at the strange side of world news, like naughty presidents. I did everything right and they indicted me. Presidents hiding in panic rooms. Supporters of the coup set fire to President Bazoum's party headquarters. Presidents printing money. Argentina is fast becoming a land of millionaires. And other stuff too, much of which has nothing to do with presidents. Find If You're Listening Now on the ABC Listen app.